Check out episode 36, where Nick, Mike, and I tell you all about our stories of being a part of a freight forwarder and the inside scoop on how it works. This is Two Babes Talk Supply Chain, where we interview the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about the best practices, changes in the industry, and hot topics in supply chain. We answer all your questions and put the sexy into your supply chain. We are your hosts, Sarah and me. Good afternoon to all our Two Babes listeners. We are happy to be back in studio with a popular guest from 2016. Barry McGuff from PVH has so kindly agreed to come back on the show to give us an update on what they are working on and to give us more insight into wearables and how they are improving the supply chain way of life. So welcome back to the show, Barry. Thanks very much. Nice to be back. Awesome. Well, it is said that advances in wearable tech is dominating supply chain. But before we get into that, can you give us an update about what you guys are working on over at PVH? Sure, I'd love to. So at Innovation Next, if you'll remember from the last time we spoke, we're a division that's looking at the future needs anticipated and unanticipated of all the brands and classifications inside PVH. And that includes Calvin Klein, Tommy Hilfiger, action sports brands like Speedo. Um, so I kind of liken us a little bit to um, what Kurt Vonnegut said about governments. In the 1970s, he said every government should have a ministry of the future. And the only government in the world that has one right now is actually Sweden. We're kind of like the ministry of the future for PVH, but we're kind of that on steroids for business. So we're looking at three really big things. We're looking at all kinds of business transformation ideas. So from on the, and we look a lot on the product side and the go-to-market side, and we are actually of the supply chain. So it makes a lot of sense as we integrate this into supply chain. But we're looking at three really big things right now. So we're looking at the sort of third way of fiber for the apparel industry, um, looking at uh, fiber that doesn't come from cotton or wool or petroleum products, but it might come from biomass. It might come from yeast or mold. Um, wow. There's a company in San Francisco called Bolt Threads that makes spider silk from, uh, from, a, from a yeast. They're actually making for Patagonia right now. Wow. Um, the other thing we're looking at is ideas on sustainable solutions. What's happening in a sustainable way as we start to look at manufacturing capabilities and changes? So we're looking at things like carbon sequestration and capture. Um, our CEO, Manny Chirico, just signed a UN Global Contact Compact for uh, 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 the CEO water mandate. And they're, so they're, we're looking at ways where we can advance water stewardship and improve access to clean water, sanitation, and how we, how we put clean water into or use less water in our supply chain. Uh, the, the other thing is we're looking at kind of on the subject of this is what's happening in the connected space. What's happening with connected apparel specifically? And I think I mentioned last time that we just joined um, MIT uh, affiliation with AFOA, which is the Advanced Functional Fibers of America. They're partnered with the Department of Defense. And um, so we're looking at what does connected apparel look like, and that gets into the current state of what's connected, which is wearable devices. So these are the kind of three things we're looking at right now as sort of big picture, but it's certainly what's happening in the connected space is huge for us. Wow, that's amazing. Just the the water, you know, part of that in it in itself um, is just 
just amazing that you're actually taking it to that level within your supply chain to, to take a look at even the amount of water that you're using. So we're just, we actually open up a manufacturing uh, 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 plant, basically, a facility in Hawassa, Ethiopia. And we have a, a commitment, a stated commitment to zero liquid discharge. So when water goes into into this uh, this this manufacturing center, it's it's constantly treated and no water ever leaves the system. So wow. we're really actually very committed to water. Wow. And yeah, I've heard that Africa is becoming um, an emerging market really for a lot of, you know, manufacturing. Absolutely. So we, uh, it's public knowledge that we are there uh, in Hawassa. Also, uh, VF has just opened up a facility uh, in Ethiopia as well. So because of AGOA uh, and the, and the, the, the uh, free trade agreements there, uh, Ethiopia is a very stable government and is very, uh, a very attractive place for manufacturing at this point. And how's the infrastructure over there? It's, it's improving. So they just put in uh, electric rail system uh, to connect Hawassa with their second largest, or sorry, um, uh, Addis Ababa with their second largest city. Uh, they're looking to get better port access, and they, they have a, a lot of actually great new roads that they're putting in. So they're, we're quite serious about improving infrastructure. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, well, let's get let's get into wearable tech. So some are saying that 2016 was the year of wearable tech and supply chain. So what do you think are the trends for wearables in 2017? So, you know, we look really closely at what's happening in, in the space. And again, you know, we're looking from the integrated apparel side, from the wearable side, and then also what's happening in supply, supply chain technology. So I could say that, you know, we, at the beginning of the year, we, we went to the CES show in Las Vegas. Uh, we went to the NROF show, which was fascinating in New York. And then Shop Talk just finished a few weeks ago in Las Vegas. And so I could probably put it that 2016, we saw a reality. So we saw people introducing laptop, low-cost laptops, laptops that, laptops that cost less than $100. Um, we saw an explosion of apps. We saw an explosion of beacon technology. Uh, it's a retail environment, which is um, which some people love and some consumers think it's a little bit too intrusive. But people are trying this. We've seen the expansion of uh, re-expansion of QR codes. Um, we're looking at um, business indicators being able to set on on, uh, on mobile devices. And in warehouses themselves, we're seeing wrist-mounted, we're seeing handheld. Obviously, glasses are something that we'll talk about as they kind of evolve. Um, and then, you know, we're super interested in what's happening and watching what hap- what's happening with robotics in the warehouse. And so 2016, we saw a lot of press and a lot of, a lot of heat around uh, Kiva and having the warehouse come to the picker instead of the picker go to the warehouse and that technology as as Amazon purchased Kiva so that was sort of the 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 state of play as we went into these new trade shows but i think 2017 everything we saw at CES and everything we saw at NRS was really about machine learning and robotics but we feel that this is the year where we stopped having a conversation about big data and we started having a conversation about machine learning. What do you do with the big data? And I think one of the biggest examples that you can see outside of our industry is this huge hoopla. We all filed taxes two days ago, right? Or I hope we did. Um, about H&R Block using IBM Watson. We're still hearing the ads, right? Yeah. So uh, the idea of using AI in 
unexpected ways of our businesses are are coming. Uh, these solutions are coming at us thick and fast. Yeah, they and are. And they're coming at us inside the supply chain, inside the product, inside the D to C environment. Um, it, we're looking at what what B to B looks like for us, and even outside of our industry, we're going to see AI touching us in ways that we can't even understand. Yeah, and we're just tr- trying to get our heads around it now. Well, and even within the next five years, like it's when you say fast, it's going to really come very, very, very quickly. Yeah. So there's a, there's some really interesting stats um, with it. Alibaba uh, just did their Singles Day. You know what Singles Day is, right? It's the eleven eleven. No. It's uh, the world's largest twenty four hour online sale. So oh. our Black Friday, for instance, in 2015 was about $4.5 billion. Wow. Uh, Singles Day in 2017 was at almost $18 billion. What? And where is the Singles Day and why haven't it's, I heard about it? This is a really fun fact. If Singles Day was a country, it would be the 11th largest country in the world. Wow. Yeah, bigger than Brazil and just smaller than South Korea. Okay, so where, Singles Day is this gigantic thing. Where do I go so, for Singles Day? <laughs> so this is all sponsored by Alibaba. Okay. Um, and Alibaba, as you know, it's the Amazon of Amazon marketplace of, of China. And what they're doing is they're trying to figure out how to how to connect sellers and buyers. And, and it's but they're looking at at millions of buyers and millions of sellers. So how do they how do they connect those people if they're trying to do all this stuff in a single day? So they use they basically threw the book at what they could do for Singles Day 2016. So they used AI, they used virtual reality, they invested heavily in cloud computing, um, and they were really trying to figure out what the mobile uh, mobile applications were, especially as mobile becomes a lot more important. So they were processing in Singles Day 175,000 transactions um, and and 120,000 payments per second. Per second. Yeah. So these are so what they're trying to do is they're trying to say how do they get the fastest uh, computational speed possible and the and the highest accuracy. So if we're doing regular transaction, I can say I'm I'm going to give myself attributes and I'm going to say I can describe myself in certain ways. I could think of ten attributes and a business could say I have ten attributes. I'm geolocated next to you. I serve your demographic, right? But they're looking at hundreds or even thousands of attributes per item and hundreds of thousands of attributes per consumer to get a more accurate match. The more accurate match they get for the search, the higher likelihood that they're going to transact and they're going to convert. So they were processing 95 million records a second, and they processed 3.5 trillion records for the day. That takes... This can never have happened without machine learning. And that takes big data to a whole new level. Yeah, and that's the thing. We I asked some people at Intel, I said, what would you do if people told you that they would like to know more about big data? And they actually, they laughed. They thought that was really funny because that's a sort of a 90s construct, big data, right? What's really about, everybody knows we actually have big data. Big data has arrived. Now the question is, what do we do with big data? Do with data, it, yeah. Right? Yeah. So if you look at the case of Alibaba, they, they basically said, with the investment that we made in AI on this one day, 11-11-2016, and they said their global market value increased by 10%. So that's about uh, about $2 billion in additional sales because they applied these constructs. Wow. 
So this is real business. I mean, this is this is really how we're going to transact now because we want to get bigger basket size. We want to get higher conversion rates. We want to get we want to we want to increase traffic, get higher conversion rates, and bring people to us. And that's just not going to happen in the traditional ways anymore. No, absolutely so, not. I was there's an interesting company that I, I really like right now. Um, so um, they're called Transvoyant. Have you heard of them? I th- yeah, I've I've heard a little bit about them, but I don't know too much. So they're using machine learning on the supply chain side. So they're basically saying they want to collect and and collect data from from hundreds of different data points, from satellites, from radar, video cameras, CCTV, um, people smart driver smartphones, and they want to, they are going to aggregate that, and they can aggregate a trillion events a day to try to have real time uh, tra- uh, traffic where they can also factor in they can they can connect to NOAA and they can say okay. Your truck is in Richmond, but there's a storm coming in. We're expecting traffic delays from the Department of Transportation, and so your there's or there's port congestion somewhere, and your shipment is going to be 22 minutes late. They're wow. looking at that level of accuracy. Amazing. So that's going to be amazing. That's so, going to you know yeah. I mean. Accenture, for instance, is saying that in their analysis that they think 85 percent of organizations will will adopt um, artificial intelligence into their supply chain within the next year. Within the next eighty five percent, we really think it's coming quite quickly. And sorry, that was eighty five percent in a year. Yeah, this is according to Accenture. They're doing business analysis, and they're saying that eighty five percent of organizations will put some level of AI into their organizations and supply chains within the next year. Amazing. Um, I I am looking forward to seeing that happen because eighty five percent is a big number, when a lot of companies are still, you know, doing things the traditional way and can't even wrap their head around AI. Well, let's say they're using their 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 D2C sites are using Amazon Web Services. If AWS is starting to apply machine learning, then they may be using machine learning without even knowing it. Okay, gotcha. Okay, well that would make a little bit more sense, and it would be a little bit easier, you know, for companies to implement when they're not really the ones implementing; they're just using another service. Yeah, but we're also seeing, you know, this idea about, so we think AI is the big story for 17. And the other big story, I think, really is robotics. So everyone is looking right now in their supply chain about how they can start to use robotic manufacturing techniques for, for a lot of reasons. So there's the idea that you, that especially in this current environment, that we might want to nearshore or onshore. So that's going to become interesting. You know, my thinking on it is that nearshoring and onshoring was coming into America anyways, not necessarily because of any political climate, but really because of consumer demands to have things quickly. Right. You just can't afford the time on the water when when you're working inside of an immediate gratification culture where you're used to instant instant customization, instant delivery, and maybe even delivery by drone, right? Yeah. Oh, there you go. are changing so quickly that um, automation in the manufacturing side was going to come anyways. So we're starting to see the, 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 the improvements in robotic systems on the manufacturing side. And you think that that's going to bring it back to North America? Yes. Well, so for instance, so our, our innovation division at PVH, we're looking at product solutions. We're looking at go-to-market solutions. We're looking at supply chain solutions. The innovation division uh, called Lighthouse and Under Armour, they're 100% dedicated to automated manufacturing. 
Okay. The one reason for being, and they have a 40,000 square foot warehouse uh, and, and beautiful building on the Baltimore River. It's just dedicated to manufacturing efficiencies. And they're looking at two things, nearshoring and, uh, and onshoring for U.S. manufacture. But they're also looking at the, this idea for local for local. So if they can make these, these machines that can automate manufacturing and, and, and de-skill and make things move more quickly – then they could put this in China for China. So they could serve the Alibaba example that I just gave you. Right. And on that, they could do immediate, immediate manufacture and fulfillment for demand on Singles Day when, single, when, when, that, when that demand peaks, for right. instance. So there's a, there's a big push on, on the manufacturing automation side in, in, uh, across the industry. So you're changing then inventory models to manufacturing models and just-in-time manufacturing models. Absolutely. I think you might have seen that I, uh, we saw in the wires today that Amazon just filed a patent for, um, for um, self, self-making self uh, fibers in, in the apparel side. That just happened this morning. They did. And Adidas just uh, they launched a program about a month ago in Germany where you could go in and you could customize a sweater in their stores, and then you wait for 20 minutes and you take the sweater out. Wow! Instant manufacturing. Yeah, that's. So these are things that are a little bit novel right now, but that novelty factor is going to move to expectation, and that will change supply chain. And Mm -hmm. will certainly, if you're manufacturing at 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 the point of sale then you're going to have a different supply chain model because you're going to have to talk about what putting in raw materials and what's the volume expectation at that point. How fast can these machines make things? Yeah, you're... But you're... we see it as a major trend of, of this idea that, that automated machinery is like what's happening with the Shimaseki knitting machines. <clears throat> if they can, knit, they can knit a sweater in 20 minutes, that's more, that's more time than it takes in the current manufacturing uh, by hand, let's say, but yeah. that time will improve. That production efficiency um, um, math will change. Well, and you don't have to wait for it to be delivered or, or, or moved over the ocean or, or anything like that. And <clears throat> and I think you're right that inventory is going to change. It's going to change from finished product into raw material. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially with the introduction of, like, do you think 3D printers are going to have any influence on that? So the future state that people, we've seen people envision this, and we have to believe it's probably in our lifetime, but not in the next decade, would really be the idea that you would would sort of uh, Netflix apparel. Right. So, for instance, if you didn't, if, if 3D printers, home 3D printers, or commercial 3D printers that you could go to a store, they would have the right material. If you could say, I'm not going to buy a piece of clothes, I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy a, a URL. Right. That I, and then you can just plug it into any 3D printer and print your garment. That's possible. Right. That's plausible. Let's say that's not possible. Let's say it's plausible. That people think that you could actually be selling the, the the pattern and the code and the material, and then you just you you buy it and you put it on a thumb drive or you download a URL and you send it to a printer and it can be made. Now, right now, 3D printers are very plastics and metal oriented. Yeah. So we don't have the capability to 3D print soft textiles yet. Right. But everybody wants that to be the, the next level. So there's a lot of a, a lot of heat and a lot of energy being placed on 
on changing the substrates that you could 3D print or weave. And so Shimaseki is 3D knitting. It's not 3D printing, but you, but in a way you could you could call it 3D printing because it's you're manufacturing a garment on demand in a 3D format. Right. With with, me, with mechanical needles. Right, right, right. Okay. So then let's talk a second. Let's let's talk a second about augmented reality. So augmented reality and warehousing, does that connect to wearable tech and what does that mean for the distribution side? I mean, I know we're talk we've kind of gone beyond that really with with people actually manufacturing instead of, you know, inventory and distribution per se, but Let's take it step back. So, a little uh, bit. I think on the warehouse side, we're you know, we're looking at and we're seeing a lot of novel applications right now for uh, for AR. So of course, you know we were all sort of had a, a, a very um, interesting realization that augmented could be here with Pokemon Go. We said, wow, this is actually something. They monetized it. They turned it into a business. It was fantastic for them, um, but it was a little bit of a bubble. But it kind of was a wake up call. So I was just actually speaking to someone um, a few weeks ago at the UN, and they're using AI in a very novel way. They're using AI to sh- to put uh, uh, goggles, AI goggles, onto um, onto UN members and delegates, and they'll show them the what it looks like to be in a natural disaster, a flood or a famine or a war zone. And they can only they, and then they vote while they're watching it happen. Hmm. They're saying, well, "How does it affect you emotionally when you see these images? You can't you, ha- you can't be dispassionate about it. You have to be involved in it." So this is to me, this is a really really novel way to use AI. Um, one of the things that we're seeing right now, uh, I, I, I kind of talked a little bit about um, Alibaba, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things that they did for Singles Day is they created virtual stores. So you would, they'd send you an AI set of a very cheap one. You put your phone in it, and you can literally walk around. You can physically walk around a store. You can pick things up. You can look at them. And then when you, when you quote, unquote, touch them or click on them, you go straight to an e-com buy now site. Right, so, a so a, AR in virtual stores is also becoming quite uh, quite common now, and a lot of people are starting to be able wanting to integrate into the D to C experience, because you get this visual walkthrough, you can you can upsell, uh, you can merchandise, you can say this shirt goes with that sweater, um, so and a and so Alibaba used it to great to great advantage on Singles Day. Um, we also saw some really great technology at NRF. Um, which we were really impressed with, where you could have a shelf for a grocery store, and a merchant can put on AR goggles, and they can put up boxes of Cheerios and cans of beans, and they can look what their what their shopping shelf looks like, and then they can move it around, and then they can run models, and they can say, if we configure like this way, what's our sell in, what's our sell through, what's going to be high turn, low turn, based on the data that they get. If they move something on a shelf, they can actually look at, at statistical selling numbers that are forecast models based on where they put the Cheerios, for instance. Hmm. That's a really, really novel way to use VR. Um, so we're seeing it from the design side. Google has a really great uh, platform called Tiltbrush, 
where you walk into a VR room and you design a garment with a brush with your, in your hand, and you can see the drape, and you can see the feel of the garment on a, on a mannequin or on an avatar, and you can design in 3D. And if you're designing in 3D, you're going to be designing a lot more accurately than making a 2D prototype, having it made, sent from Asia, sent back here, put it on a fit model. It's instant, right? Wow. But we, we really, you know, but we're looking at stuff like, uh, like SmartPick. I don't know if you guys know SmartPick. No, tell us about that. So SmartPick is a lot like Google Glass. They actually have their, their glasses, their VR goggles. You put them on, uh, and then what it does is as the picker looks around, they can, it, 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 it hits a QR code that's above a bin. Oh, really? The so QR that's... code will have the, the pick ticket is already programmed into what the picker is using. And it, when, you, when, they, when the picker looks at the QR code, it says, grab three of those. Grab two of those. Now you're done. So that's how the glasses are going to be imp- uh, sort of implemented into the supply chain, you think? Yeah. So actually, um, DHL started using things like SmartPick in 2016. They're pretty expensive, but their stats are that they there's the kind of the, the good news, bad news on this. So the good news is that they're saying that it really increases efficiency mm-hmm. and it reduces pick time by 25 percent. So they're seeing that they can be a lot more efficient in the warehouse with pickers that are going to shelves if they know what that pick time is and that pick accuracy. Yeah, and I... I also yeah, think sorry. on the – that's okay. I also think on the other side of the spectrum, you know, for sourcing and purchasing, um, are we going to be able to use these glasses or virtual reality for, you know, people in North America to be able to source product, maybe purchase product without having to travel? Yeah, well, I think that's where the example of Alibaba and these other um, startup companies that are looking at VR goggles for virtual stores. Right. That really will will help on the on the on the on the consumer side. People will be shopping using VR goggles, and again, if you want to say, "Does this shirt go with those pants?" You could start to be merchandising. You could be buying a look. Right. You could be looking at um, how do you connect or click through, and then buy as see now, buy now. Yeah, so it's gonna it's gonna come or it's already there for consumers, but even for business to business, I think it's just gonna change. You know, that part of the supply chain where you can source and purchase from your desk rather than having to travel and and see the product. Um, so I think that's going to change that that quite a bit. So let's like we've talked about a lot of larger companies, you know, like the Alibaba's, the Amazon's. Let's take a step back for the for the SMBs for a minute, the small to medium sized enterprise, the small to medium sized business. You know, what is a good place for them to start implementing, you know, either wearable tech or AR, VR, where is that point that they sort of get started? I know you said that, you know, they might be using AI without even realizing it. But to be intentional about it, where do they start? I think for right now, even for us, the, the, the barrier to entry is actually relatively high. I mean, PBH is a good-sized company. Um, but we're looking right now, if we look at the, at the SmartPick goggles, for instance, they're $1,500 a pair. Right. So right now, you know, we're 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 looking at seeing those costs come down. So uh, before we go in to be adopters of this technology, so I think for us right now, I, and I think for SMBs, 
you know, our, our, our thinking on it is it's still a little bit of a watch and learn, mm-hmm. but I do feel that this is happening very, very quickly. So going to an NRF show, I have to say that show has been around for a while. I was absolutely blown away by it. I, I learned so much about the future of what's happening in the retail space and what's happening in, in warehousing supply chain, because you're also looking at what they're doing at gas stations. You're looking at what they're doing at grocery checkout. You're looking at what they're doing at laundromats. But, so these things are going to start to scale quite quickly. So I think we should be, have SMBs should probably be looking with a wait and see, uh, but but to don't wait too long. Yeah. And you bring up a really great point. I think the place for them to start is to learn and to understand about the technology. Because at the end of the day, and and sort of know where things are going, what's happening in other industries, I think you're completely right about that, and it's a great place for them to start. Yeah, it's true, because I think we think of these things as much farther out. We can look at them, and we can... And one of the things that we really do on the Innovation Next side is we do a lot of analysis. We do a lot of, 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 of sort of stargazing. And some of the things that we talk about sound a lot like shock and awe. Right. We're saying the future state is going to look like this. And people say, wow, that's going to be forever from now. Yeah. But then, of course, what happens is we'll read about it in the newspaper two days later. And someone has adopted it. Yeah. So the speed of adoption and the speed of ubiquity is happening very, very quickly. Yeah. Well, look at look at uh, Watson and H&R Block. Nobody thought that was going to happen, and it yeah. it literally, I feel like it happened overnight. I heard it. I heard about it. I think two two days before it was announced. Yeah. Amazing. So, and I believe, if I'm not incorrect, that the iPhone it just had its 10 year uh, anniversary just a few weeks ago. Wow, 10 years. Ten years. Yeah. Never. So we, we, we were born with them, right? It, almost. Well, most of uh, <laughs> the people I work with were, but uh, some of us are a bit older. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, and Sarah still can't get over this 11-11 singles day here. I think she's going to have her favorite day marked on the calendar forever. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. So, Barry, how is PVH using wearable technology in your supply chain? So right now we're we're pretty much focused on handhelds. Um, we we really we're looking at a lot of different ideas right now. We're also in, in the same way that everyone else is doing is saying, how's it going to work for us? Where are the economies of scale? How can we do our due diligence and figure out where the where the where the the cost of entry improves efficiency at such a rate that it's worth adoption. So um, we're looking at voice recognition and we're looking at glasses, but we're also analyzing the productivity costs for, uh, for productivity levels versus cost of these wearables. So we're real interested, but we're, we're, uh, we, haven't, we haven't fully adopted the, the, the highest tech levels yet. Right. That voice recognition is, uh, is quite interesting. So do you, do you think that that should be a place for companies to you know, start? I mean, I know that we, we talked about you know, learning about the technology first, learning about the future, where it's going, how fast it's coming. But if they did want to get started in wearable tech, you know, would voice recognition be the place to sort of you know, look to get started? It's going to be probably a lower cost to entry for sure. 
but again, this we feel that, and I think everyone feels in the on the tech side, let's say that what's happening in the voice recognition and hearable space is also just now being navigated. Right. Um, Google Home just came out just a, just a, uh, three four months ago, um, but if you it, so that's the sort of second generation to Alexa. Alexa was the alpha consumer. Then we had go- get Google Home, but going to CES. There are hundreds of companies that are doing hearables in some way where you can connect to a device, you can connect to the Internet, where you're using voice command, voice control. So, okay. And that is a lower cost to entry than some of these more high-tech VR, AR uh, solutions. So we're, again, we're, we're in, a, we're in a, a, a watch and learn state. Yeah. But, we're, but we're, we're wanna watch, we want to watch closely and we want to learn quickly. Yeah. I'm I'm also curious, you know, with the productivity and the efficiencies and stuff like that, maybe where would a company start with that? I mean, I know we just said voice recognition and that would be the lower cost to entry, but um, you know, what other wearable techs, especially in the supply chain, maybe when it comes to distribution, you know, can people really or should companies really take a look at? The other things that we're seeing right now, I, I think, are are interesting, and I mentioned them a little bit earlier. Uh, is what's happening with QR codes on the retail level, and whether they're going to start to be as a second generation QR code adoption, where people will start to be able to use them a little bit more readily. Okay. And that, the example that I gave with SmartPick about using key, QR codes in AR mm-hmm. is going to be interesting to see that if there's growth area there. Uh, also, RFID is something that is mm. known to the supply chain, and yet the cost is coming down so quickly, and the functionality as they start to integrate RFID and possible um, NFC um, functionality, mm-hmm. then we think that RFID and NFC are going to start to reach a, a place at a cost level where their 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 ubiquity is probably going to be. Up upon us quite soon, and I think RFID will probably be in everything. Yeah, that's um, that's inventory a... reading to CRM to um, to being able to use it in uh, with Beacon technology in retail stores to, for um, supply chain tracking. Uh, we've and that's been a little bit of a cost issue right now. Mm-hmm. But also, more and more retailers are mandating that the RF that the, their products come RFID enabled. Yeah, I can inventory I, control. I definitely completely agree with you on that. I think the RF idea is here. Um, I think more and more people are, you know, demanding it or asking for it if they, if they're going to work with you. And in a traditional space such as the warehousing and distribution, I mean, it's it's been more traditional than, you know, technology heavy or technology based. And I think the RFID is just something that everybody can get their heads around. Um, and implement and be able to uh, use it for efficiencies and productivity. Mm-hmm. So I definitely, uh, yeah, I definitely agree with you there. So, okay, so where do we go from here? How do you see the evolution of wearable tech with the introduction of AI, robotics, and VR? I mean, I know we talked about it a little bit, but let's get a little bit further into the future. So, you know, we're looking at... Um, Again, this the the future state coming quickly, more quickly than we can anticipate. Yeah. And um, what's there's a there's a really good quote from uh, from one of our our leaders 
um, here inside the company. And they, he always says, the future always comes more quickly than you think it will and never in the way that you, that you think it should look like. Great quote. So, so we, we definitely see that as the case. So we think it's going to come a lot more quickly, and it won't look the way we think it's going to look. One of the things that I really like as an example of that is, look, we saw the first generation in the, in the, in the eyeglass, in the, in, the, in the seeable space with Google Glass. And so that was a big hoopla about Google Glass, and then people started having privacy issues. And then people in Silicon Valley that were paying $2,000 for Google Glass, they were called glass holes, right? Oh. They were frowned upon as these sort of ridiculous Silicon Valley early adopters. So Poor that kind guys. Of went away and Google got a little bit of a black eye, you could say. Um, but then we, I really like what's happening with Snapchat. So they have this, something called Spectacles. And so there, uh, if you, you know Snapchat, um, what happens on Snapchat is you get a visual image sent to you from your friend, and you, once you open up the image, it goes away in three seconds. Yeah. So their model is that they have glasses. They look like kind of 80s sunglasses. They're brightly colored, primary colors. They look great. And they have a little camera at the temple. And when a picture's being taken, a little digital LED circle goes around. So you know someone's taking a picture of you. It goes instantly to your Snapchat feed, so you don't have to touch your phone. And these goggles, they charge in a case. They're about 150 bucks, and so their distribution model is sort of as amorphous as the goggle, as the glasses themselves. So what they do is they say they send out a tweet and they say we're going to have a vending machine at Sixth and Main at seven o'clock at night, and they'll fill the vending machine with with a certain number of of, of spectacles, and you put in your you you go there, line up. Buy, buy a pair until they're out, and then when the vending machine's empty, they take the vending machine away. So you can't buy them online. Wow. It's the same way. That the, it's very similar to the Snapchat model. But they're really sought after, and you see them at concert venues. So we're starting to see now there's going to be some more ubiquitous adoption where people are going to use them in ways that we hadn't anticipated because they're using this for social. Right. It's that low threshold for, of entry, easy to understand. It's like a, it's like a, it's like sending an emoji. Very simple. So yeah. once people start to get used to the idea of some sort of visual image capture on their eyewear, then we'll start to see it, the ubiquity come. It won't. So it won't come from ways we would have anticipated. Maybe it won't come from business. The ubiquity will come from using it in social in a social environment at a concert. Yeah, yeah, and it might be... It but might... we'll get used to it, and then we'll expect it, and then it'll be everywhere. Just like the iPhone launched in 2007, right? Yeah, that's so crazy. I still can't believe that's been 10 years. I know. Yeah. And it I... feels like yesterday, it like, just came launched out. Launched in 2007. But yeah. if you think about it, yeah, we're like iPhone, what, 8 now, or 8 Plus, yeah. or whatever's yeah, going out? Yeah, it'll be 8 in the fall. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, even my mom's using emojis now. Like, emojis are mainstream, and everybody's using them, so now everybody's going to have I want to send your mom a text now, just with emojis. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually forbidden from my son for using emojis. Oh, really? <laughs> he says I don't use them right. <laughs> oh, I was going to say you use too many. <laughs> Probably that too. <laughs> no, I I just got on Snapchat and I love the filters and I I love the way that they they utilize the app and I'm able to you know it's just a few second picture or video or or whatever so I'd love to get my hands on. A so 
I, I'm ignorant to the Snapchat. So after you open this picture, it's only there for three seconds. What if you forget about the picture? No, it's about, I think it's about 10 it seconds. Again. You can't. You it's can't. gone. You you can do something called My Story. And that lives oh, for yes. 24 hours. The My Story lives for 24 hours. Okay. Yeah. But that's, that's as long as you get on Snapchat. It's really about looking at what I did, what I saw, what I feel at that moment. At that moment. Why we think this is important is because this is the this is the attention span and the expectation of Gen Z and Gen A. Right. They're, when we talk about immediate gratification, we talk about these bigger, more complicated subjects like manufacturing <laughs> on demand in a retail environment and what that means to the supply chain. When we're looking at it from the demand perspective, right. if a customer expects to get something in three seconds, we're going to have to figure out a way to give it to them. And their expectation is that they see things quickly, they digest them quickly, they're smart because they saw it, and they don't have any patience for anything. Yeah. So and if, we, we will have to react to that in as best a way we can. Yeah, and if one person doesn't do it, the next one will. Yeah, and there, there is an arms race to get things to people more swiftly. Absolutely. Amazon, Amazon, I don't think they started the arms race, but they certainly have done a great job in getting at the forefront of that. Just because their whole reason for being is getting things to you quickly. Mm -hmm. Your credit card's on, on file. You can buy things in just a few seconds. You can get it the next day with Amazon Prime. Hopefully with drones. <laughs> and hopefully, we, I can't wait. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. <laughs> that will be my 11-11 day when that all starts to happen. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, – this has been a great and eye-opening interview. We, we're we so happy to have you on the show. Let's, Always yeah, a pleasure. Let's uh, wind it down. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's next for PVH? I mean, you told us at the beginning what you guys are working on, but what's a little bit more in the future for you guys? So, you know, we're – as we sort of look at this um, rapid ubiquity and as we look – to be able to understand what's happening in the AI space, we, we became very interested in what AI means at the consumer level and at the manufacturing level. So as you know, and it's just been made public, just last month we acquired Truen Company. Oh. And they uh, use AI in a couple of different ways. They use it to really focus and use machine learning to look at body type, to have a, a truly unique uh, bra fitting that's truly, truly comfortable. Um, they gained a tremendous amount of market share quite quickly by using AI models in fitting, hmm. but they also use it for CRM. So they're looking at what happens in the DTC space as you develop a relationship online on a one-to-one, one-to-one marketing, one-to-one selling, because you're figuring out what fits her what fits her best and how can you sell more to her and how can you make sure that she's a satisfied customer. So they're using AR in two different ways. So we just acquired them and they're part of our, uh, our underwear group. Uh, so we're looking at what happens with, with AI in these spaces and with this acquisition, we're going to start to see how that can be enfolded into the rest of our businesses. So, but we are definitely looking at what uh, AI means to us um, in the supply chain side. Absolutely. Well, we are definitely going to be, you know, watching what you guys are doing over at PVH because it's and innovation next. Absolutely. You guys are doing some amazing things over there. So again, Barry, thanks so much for being on the show. You, we appreciate you being with us. 
Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Nick. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Are you struggling to make the most out of your supply chain and keep the orders moving efficiently? IceCorp is your supply chain specialist, and they specialize in e-commerce, retail, and dropship distribution. They will provide you with tailor-made solutions that will drive your business and sales forward. To get your free assessment, visit them at icecorplogistics.com and check out their learning center as they have some great free resources waiting for you. We love everything PBH is doing and cannot wait to follow Barry and his team to see where they go from here with wearable technology and innovation. Next week, we interview Chris, the head of supply chain education at MIT. We are going to talk about how they are disrupting the supply chain learning space. You are going to want to make sure you don't miss this episode. We are your hosts, Nick and Sarah. This episode was produced by Mike Mazurik. We love your support, so show us some love by subscribing and writing us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Remember everyone, ship happens.